from the first scene, you read the script, you like, it jumps off the page, you know, who wouldn't want to be a part of a project like this, you know, as an actor, you, yeah, I lost sleep after I read this script. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Awardist Podcast, Entertainment Weekly's breakdown of the Emmys race, all leading up to the big ceremony on September 19th. And this week, we have a special guest and a packed interview for all of you. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But first, I've got to introduce a couple people. My partner in crime here, my wonderful co-host, EW critic Kristen Baldwin. Hi, Kristen. How are you? Good. I'm excited for today's episode. Me too. And that's partly because of our special guest in that interview. Everyone also please welcome EW Executive Editor Patrick Gomez. Cheers, applause. Can you hear all of it? Ooh. Patrick, how are you? I can hear it all. I'm honored to be asked to be a part of this. <laughs> of course, we're happy to have you here. And thank you for uh, speaking with uh, this cast who really, they had so much on their plate with this show between the themes, the message, the writing, the acting, which was often against, uh, you know, visual effects and, and things that were not there. We're talking about Lovecraft Country. Tell us uh, quickly a bit about that interview before we dive into some of these categories we're going to break down. Well, as you mentioned, they had a lot to tackle, and we definitely discussed uh, all of that uh, and the fact that they had to do it through the lens of sci-fi and, and genre, which they were excited about. But there was also this bittersweet aspect to the conversation in the sense that they are still dealing with the fact that they were renewed for a second season, and then that rug was kind of pulled out from under them just days before their onslaught of Emmy nominations. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, they're celebrating, but they're also sad. Um, and that comes across in the interview. Some of them, mm. I will, I will preview that some of them were very diplomatic about it. And some of them <laughs> were very upfront about how they think that it's, you know, it's not a great look. Um, so, yeah. uh, I, I'm excited for you all to hear that, but, uh, I, I, I personally loved the show. So it was an honor to speak to them. Yeah, well, thank you again for doing that. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, Chris and I talked about that here. We wondered how long executives at HBO knew that it was going to be canceled and did they wait for Emmy voting to be done to make that announcement? Because would that have affected how people, would people have not voted for the show? I don't think that really would have happened, but I think there was uh, some uh, calculating thoughts went into that for sure. Well, and it gets into anyway. the complicated limited series versus oh, uh, right, like recurring series, and yep. could they have done this decision much earlier and put them in a completely different category? Who knows? Like it's it's all yep. a mess. So very true. Yep, makes things very complicated. Yeah. Well, uh, also complicated. Some of the categories we're going to talk about today. Um, I, I we're going to start with the guest actor and actress in a drama because um, there are some very worthy nominees in here. There are some that have, uh, you know, were some head scratchers from the moment they were announced. So let's start with guest actress in a drama series. Last year's winner was Cherry Jones for Succession. That show uh, did not have a season that was eligible this year. So our nominees this year are from The Handmaid's Tale, Alexis Bledel and McKenna Grace. From The Crown for the 20 seconds that she essentially appeared in the episode, Claire Foy. <laughs> and then from This Is Us, Felicia Rashad. Oh, Felicia. Mm -hmm. And then the one and only acting nominee from Netflix's Ratched, the wonderful Sophie Okonedo. Uh, so let's talk quickly about, uh, do we feel like we can scratch Felicia Rashad? Do you think uh, the comments about Bill Cosby, <laughs> like, have people turned sour on her because of that? 
I don't see how you vote for her after that. I mean, I know she ultimately apologized or like yeah, quasi-apologized yeah. or whatever, but I just feel like, do you really want to voluntarily check off the box next to her name in this particular year? Maybe not. Yeah. I think if she had been a front runner, just like, you know, mm-hmm. all ahead, like there was mm-hmm. maybe still a chance she was going to win. But, you know, I think this is a tight race to consider. And I think there's other people yeah. that I may consider a front runner here. So now I think 100% like mm-hmm. not happening for her. Well, so now I'm curious, right. Patrick, who do you think is the front runner? Yeah, I think it's a good race. It's a good race. And there's some great names here. Um, I think, uh, you know, Sophie is the only person nominated from Ratched. So if you were a fan of that show, this is your your one chance to mm-hmm. honor one of the acting nominees. So I think that that is helpful there. Again, I don't think that it's going to, that that would happen. I think, you know, I, Kristen and I have had conversations about the massive amount of <laughs> Handmaid's Tale nominations, but I do yeah. think that Alexis Bledel, just being Alexis Bledel, there's a chance there. And, and she has won this before too. Yes, exactly. Uh, I would say it's between Alexis and Claire, despite the Mm -hmm. fact that Claire was on the show for such a short amount of time. Yeah. I had a conversation with my friend and I was saying how I thought it was ridiculous and how some of us on the staff (laughs) had been talking about it being ridiculous. And he was like, oh, I totally disagree. It's one of the most memorable moments of the season. And that's such an iconic speech and, and moment for her. And so... He was all in for it. So I maybe if Emmy voters are more like my friend John, um, we will end up with a Claire Foy win. But if not, I'm thinking Alexis Bledel. I have to say, I want to throw in a little uh, props for McKenna Grace, who, as you know, I've said multiple times, you know, I'm not a huge fan of The Handmaid's Tale at this point in its run. Um, but she played uh, Esther Keys, I believe. And she was great. She, you know, is very sort of chilling as this, uh, sort of tyrannical young child bride, but then you, you know, learn more about her very, you know, awful experience as a bride in Gilead. So, you know, I wouldn't be mad at her winning. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do wonder if Claire Foy is even seems like a bigger name to the voters at this point, you know, they love the crown, they love her. So maybe they just check her off, but who can say? Yeah. I feel like there might be kind of just an instinct to see the crown and Claire Foy and just check her name off. I think Sophie Okonedo might have the flashiest performance because she plays a character with, um, you know, with, with multiple personalities and she, the way she just twists that, uh, like on a dime in her performance is just mesmerizing, uh, and, and, you know, fantastic to watch. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I'm that's that's a tough one, but I, I feel like Claire might win just because of the name recognition there in the guest actor category. Last year's winner was Ron Cephas Jones for This Is Us. He is uh, not a nominee this year, but here uh, is the list of people who are nominated. Courtney B. Vance from Hey, Lovecraft Country. We've also got Carl Weathers from The Mandalorian, as well as Timothy Oliphant from The Mandalorian, (laughs) Charles Dance on The Crown, and the guy who is even wondering how he got nominated here, Don Cheadle for The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. Um, I mean, love Don Cheadle, but I don't think he's gonna win this, right? I I feel like I'm leaning toward Courtney B. Vance here. I just feel like anytime you have Courtney B. Vance in a category, he's almost an automatic front runner. I do enjoy that mm-hmm. people just 
seem to love Timothy Oliphant in like yeah. anything he does. And I would be very, even though the Mandalorian, I think it's ridiculous that it keeps getting all these nominations. I think <laughs> he's so great that why, you know what, just give it to him, just give it to him. He deserves it for whatever. I guess between the two Mandalorian nominees, as if either of you have watched the show, cause I just can't bring myself to do it, <laughs> which guy in a helmet would you vote for? <laughs> I think that they've both done good work on the series. Mm -hmm. I just don't know that like you walked away, especially this many months after it aired, remembering either of them. Um, so and that's what I'm kind of struggling with right now. I mean, I, I remember Carl Weathers love him, Timothy. Yeah, great. I, I I just don't know that either of them rise to like Emmy worthy material. Well, you know, Carl had such a large part in the first season. Mm -hmm. Um, right. So I think that that's another reason. I think that's where he has the edge here is that Timothy is like popped in and popped back out. Yep. Um, Carl actually, uh, you know, was a, was a regular, I believe on mm -hmm. season one, um, or at least uh, wasn't enough episodes for me to consider yep. him a regular in season one. So I think that that gives him the edge here just because people have more to go off of. Mm -hmm. But I agree. I agree, Kristen. I think Courtney B. Vance is the front runner here. I think he's in so much of the episodes that he's in versus yep. a lot of these other nominees again, like I said, just kind of pop in for a second and then pop back out. Like he is a star of the episodes that he's a part of. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he's Courtney B. Vance. So just give it to him. Like he is, this would be fabulous. if he wins his, uh, second, I believe. Yeah. Because he also won for, um, OJ, uh, his great work in that, uh, that series too. Um, okay. This third category we're going to break down. It has literally nothing to do with the other two, except that sure. There's a lot of drama in these shows. We're talking about reality competitions. Um, and these five, I, I think are probably five of the most popular reality competitions around the nominees, the amazing race nailed it. RuPaul's Drag Race, Top Chef, and The Voice. Four of those five, with the exception of uh, Nailed It, they have all won in this category before. Of course, it was The Amazing Races for years. Top Chef finally upset them. The Voice has won. And then RuPaul's Drag Race is, uh, you know, they, they've been winning the past uh, few seasons. Is there one, Kristen, that sticks out to you here? Well, there's a glaring omission that sticks out to me here, uh. which is The Bachelor. And again, you know, we've talked about this and I know Lynette uh, Rice, our colleague, wrote a column about it. Just the Emmy voters are so snooty about reality mm -hmm. competition. They will never put in something like The Bachelor, you know, or any of the housewives, not that that's a competition, but I do wish right. that they would, you know, I mean, The Voice really in season 112, <laughs> is anyone talking about The Voice? Does anyone care about who wins The Voice? Like they're yeah. not, it's, it, it, it's certainly, you know, a well-produced show. Yeah, all of these is. are. I love Nailed It. Of, of all of these, if mm -hmm. I had to pick a winner, I'd say Nailed It because I just I think that show is really delightful. But mm -hmm. it's it's just getting really boring to see the same yeah. group of nominees over and over and over again. Yeah, that's fair, Patrick. Where do, where do your loyalties lie here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I do think it's weird. I agree, Kristen. Nailed It is a really fun watch, but mm -hmm. it, it doesn't fit to me with these other nominees. And if you look at something like the Critics' Choice Awards, which, you know, however you feel about those, they separate um, shows a, a lot more for their real TV awards. And I think it makes sense to do that here because 
to me, nailed it is different contestants every week. They, you know, have 30 minutes to tell a story and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not, they're not building these narratives in the way that they are on any of these other shows, the voice, give or take. I've always not been a fan. I I think the show is a fun watch, but it's always been more about the judges and not the contestants. And and I think if you're creating a narrative here, you know, I think what goes into Top Chef or Drag Race or Amazing Race is a completely different skill set than goes into Nailed It mm-hmm. um, sure. or even The Voice. And so that is always an issue here for me when I see some stuff uh, pop in. Um, I'm a huge fan of The Amazing Race. Uh, I think Drag Race does good work. I think Top Chef uh, does fantastic work. I do wonder how much like that little bit of a scandal that I think actually has nothing to do with the show. But if you're not yeah, familiar right. with the winner, after he was announced the winner, it came out that uh, he was accused of some uh, retaliation after mm-hmm. having an affair with a colleague. It, there was all this stuff that had that all came out after he was on the show, um, but it right. did taint because it all came out like right as the winner was announced. Right. Yeah, for a season that was pretty critically acclaimed, like people think yeah. one of the best seasons, if not the best of the of the series. Yeah, so I so I fear that that's going to uh, make Top Chef not a contender. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, like I said, I love nailed it, but I, I just feel like to me, it would go to race drag race. Yeah. Either one of the races or the race. <laughs> yeah. 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 This could be a moment for the amazing race to kind of, you know, take the, you know, take the top spot again. RuPaul's drag race. I feel like could, uh, like we were talking about with Claire Foy and the crown could just be like, oh yeah, they're doing good work. We'll just keep, you know, checking the box yeah. here. Um, but you know, Kristen, you said something about, you know, these, these, um, the Academy kind of being a little snooty with their picks like The Bachelor, Mm -hmm. um, Housewives. In the unstructured reality category, we do see shows like Selling Sunset, which I absolutely love, and then Below Deck. Um, So we are seeing, you know, some more of these, like, you know, following people around and, you know, capturing their lives for cameras. Like Trashier. Come on, you can say it. Yeah, yeah. Like Trashier. Below Deck and Selling Sunset. (laughs) You know, that's like trash entertainment. And, but the Mm -hmm. thing is, it's great. And it's entertaining. And it tells real, you know, and it, it, is hugely popular. You know, I feel like the housewives should be next in that category Mm -hmm. in terms of like, talk about a franchise that endures and (sighs) continues to be like in the zeitgeist year in, year out. Um, I mean, God, I can't wait for Salt Lake City this year. Well, that's the one I was going to bring up because Salt Lake City, you know, they got into issues uh, on their first season that we haven't really seen tackled a lot, especially with how religion factors into mm-hmm. these women's lives, you know, about being divorced and, uh, you know, so, so many other facets. Um, and I thought that really elevated uh, the storytelling. And I thought they could have gotten nominated. Uh, I was hoping for it. Of course, it didn't happen. But maybe for next season, season two, there's going to be whew, some major drama there. <laughs> Kristen, I, I do also wonder, though, it, it, like if Bachelor suffers from kind of my situation with Nailed It, where people are like, is it a competition series or is it a reality? Like, is it, it yeah. you know, because uh-huh. there's this guise that it is this, that, it, it, that it's this search for love, which it's supposed to be and hopefully is for some of them. But it also is a competition series. And so I, right. I, I do wonder if that's not also a reason why that show is not celebrated here is because it's kind of in this weird genre on its own. And we know yeah. it is a competition series, but uh, viewers uh, like to envision it as a just complete uh, reflection trash. of actual yeah. reality. Well, trash or actual reality. And this is no, this is just a woman or a man looking for love. Um, and so is that a competition? I think it's more that people are just too guilty to admit. Like they, they <laughs> feel guilty about loving it and you know they all watch it they're all aware of it 
but they would never admit it because they just feel like it's, you know, now Bachelor and the entire franchise is much more, you know, people are out and proud as members of Bachelor Nation, you know, celebrities mm-hmm. talk about how much they love it, all of that. Um, but I still think there's just this bias against it because, yeah, there's definitely a lot of just sort of trashy elements to it. But, you know, they are able to produce, it's a franchise that is, you know, still going strong 20 years later. And it's always talked about, unlike something like The Voice, um, but, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I say nominate The Bachelor for Best Comedy. I mean, it's very funny. <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, a lot of people think it is indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that leads us to uh, the main event here of this episode. Coming up after the break, Patrick's interview with the cast of Lovecraft Country. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with that. Welcome back to The Awardist. As Jared previewed right before the break, we are heading into my discussion with the cast of HBO's Lovecraft Country. Now, the show was nominated for 18 Emmys this year, just days after being canceled, and I spoke with stars Jonathan Majors, Journey Smollett, Anjanou Ellis, Michael K. Williams, and Courtney B. Vance, all about that, as well as the fantastic work they did in the season. Let's take a listen. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, I'm so glad that we are able to speak to you for Wardis, but also to give you all a chance to see each other. Uh, I know you completed filming so long ago and because of the pandemic, there's been so many opportunities you would have seen each other that you haven't until now. Uh, and it's been a pleasure to, as we prepared to start this recording, see you all get to say hello and interact and air some fun grievances about not getting to work together as much anymore. <laughs> um, as I mentioned- for you, you, Courtney and Anjanine. He's talking about y'all. <laughs> Not to put anyone on blast, but uh, again, I mentioned all five of you are acting nominees, um, but HBO's Lovecraft Country happened to get 18 total nominations on uh, Emmy nomination day. So congratulations. Uh, you know, I, I'm here to, we're here to celebrate you all, but I'm sure you all were celebrating uh, just all the work that went into creating that show. So congratulations. So I want to start off with a question. How much were you all paying attention uh, on Emmy's morning? Like, were you like waiting for the announcements? Were you were you working and got the phone call an hour later that everything had happened? What was Emmy's morning like for each of you, uh, Jonathan? I'm going to start with you. Um, well, Patrick, for me, I was uh, actually I've forgotten. My dear friend's birthday is the day before was the day before um, the announcement, and I was uh, I'm in a different time zone, so I was at work. I was coming back from work, and my buddy was like, the text message said, <laughs> expletive, expletive, expletive. <laughs> expletive. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> and then they said, bang, 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 bang. I said, what the f- going on? And then I, I, I had no, I mean, I'm like, okay, cool. And I checked and I went, oh. But then it was, then it was Bedlam. But uh, no, it kind of slipped my mind. Yeah, just because of the time framing beat. But uh, it, it was a great surprise. Yeah. I want to know what the expletive, expletive, expletive. Yeah. You could imagine. You could imagine. You do right now. I don't know why you can't say what the expletive. Is. <laughs> one of the brothers yeah. are. Okay. Was it was it polysyllabic or was it monosyllabic? <laughs> polysyllabic. 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 Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, Journey. How about for you? What was what was that morning like? Expletive, expletive, expletive. Yeah. <laughs> 
the hair and makeup trailer, like with my headphones on and prepping for a scene. I was about to shoot this movie I'm here doing um, in Vancouver. And I, I get a call from my um, publicist. And I, I'm like, when they call me, I don't like it. You know, the text is fine. When they call me, I'm like, oh, shit. you know what? Oh, sorry, Courtney. Expletive, expletive, expletive. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't actually thinking, oh, this is, you know, I, I told them I don't want to know the day that they announced. Like, I don't want to know. Just leave me out of it. Um, so they called me and they were in tears. And I was like, what the hell happened? Oh, my God. And they were like, John, you were just nominated for an Emmy. And just like that. And I was like, what? No way. No, and, you know, and, and then they're like, hey, Jonathan was nominated. Expletive, And I start screaming, and everyone in the makeup trailer is like, oh my, what's the matter? Are you okay? And Allison, Jenny, my co-star, she comes over, and I'm like, I was just nominated for an Emmy. And she, like, kisses me and hugs me, and then, you know, I, I run out of the trailer, and same thing, like, everyone calls me, my brothers, my everybody, and, and the... Well, it was funny is I went on the set because Allison was actually nominated too, but she didn't know. I was the one who actually told her. Like, I went up to her and I, for rehearsal, I was like, oh my gosh, congratulations to you too. Like, I didn't know. And she's like, what? And I said, well, you were nominated. She said, no, I wasn't. <laughs> and I literally had to pull up the list to show her that the comedy category for best actress had her name. And it was so sweet. I mean, she's been nominated 15 times. You know, this is my first time being nominated. And for her, she was like, I didn't think it would happen. She's like in tears about it. So it was sweet. Glad you were able to give some good news. Uh, Courtney and Anjanu, I know, as we've mentioned, you've been working together. Were you together on that particular day? Expletive, expletive, expletive. <laughs> what you trying to say? No. Were you able to celebrate together? Is all, is all I'm saying. No. no. <laughs> I was buying a chair at a furniture store because my family was coming the next day and I don't have anywhere. I didn't have anywhere for them to sit down. So I was buying a chair in a furniture store and I, like Journey said, got a call. And I'm like, why are you calling me? Because it's usually something I've done wrong if someone is calling me. You know what I'm saying? And then I went outside and I and I called back and it was actually good news this time. And I screamed all down. I guess this is North, it's North Street here in Chicago, Courtney? Yes. Yeah. I heard you, by the way. And I'm on the floor. I heard you. I'm sure you did. And no, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that they were announcing it. So it was a, it was a nice, nice Tuesday surprise. And uh, how about you, Courtney? Uh, I was uh, um, on the 36th floor and heard from my publicist and uh, was very excited. And uh, I'm just excited for our show. Yeah, um, we are we are a special crew, and have uh, gone through a lot uh, to get where we are today. This sounds like a commercial, um, but uh, I celebrate us, uh, and I know Michael will close us out with the uh, discussions about it. But I heard from my publicist, and I was very grateful. Thinking back to the the pilot, and as we were tipping over in the car, thinking back to to that where you don't know when you do a show whether or not it's gonna it's gonna go anywhere. Um, so uh, I'm I'm just grateful. Michael, as you said, close us out here. What was what's your story of Emmy's morning? Um I had got the days mixed up. Uh, I thought it was gonna be the next day 
from the actual day that it was. So I was I was packing, um, actually packing to come to to LA, California. So I get the news. Um, and my publicist called me and she told me. So I said, Oh well, I want to share my good news. So I called my mother. I says, Mom, I got some good news. She says, What? I said, I got nominated for an Emmy. That ain't no shit. Expletive, expletive, expletive. That ain't no expletive good news for me. I go, I hate that show. I ain't going. I ain't going. I'm like, okay, well, I'll talk to you later. She's been my date for the past, for the other three times. And she, she's in her 90s. And, you know, so <laughs> that was my, <laughs> I was like, okay, mom, I love you too. Talk to you later. Expletive, expletive, expletive. <laughs> oh man well i i'm sure she'll come around and, and be a big fan on on the actual ceremony day uh, i i want to go back to something important you mentioned and and the pilot and you know getting to experience this all together let's take that step back uh and and i'd love to hear from you all about what it was like to first hear about this project why it was something you were interested in um and what the experience was like to come onto set and realize what a special story you all are going to be able to tell because i think the story you told resonated only more greatly um because of the past year that this uh this world has been through but i think even before that it was it was clear very early on that there was something very special about what you all were working on yeah i, I would say that uh um i think from the very beginning uh i mean i didn't know much about what the show was going to be about i i, I don't know if everyone else did but i didn't i didn't read all the episodes so i i knew what my episodes were like a soap opera for me it was it was uh, the cast members who were involved and misha and uh i i wanted to work with misha since underground and i love journey and i love jonathan and michael and anjanu so i was i was in i didn't know what the bride was going to be but i knew it was going to be special and uh that's a lot of times that's all uh, you have to go on. I, I know if Misha is doing something that's going to be special, I'm in. So uh, I, I was very, uh, once I finished my two episodes and I know I had one to, to shoot, a seventh episode to shoot, uh, I was just intrigued to see what it was going to be. I didn't know what the project, you know, was. Uh, um, and when I, when I watched it, the first, uh, to, after my two episodes were finished, I became fan and uh, uh, to see what this thing really, really was. And it is new television. It was groundbreaking television. It is groundbreaking television. And so uh, I celebrate us, I'm grateful, and I'm sad at the same time. Very sad. Journey, uh, I'd love to hear from you about this. It's, it's rare that any of these characters come around, unfortunately, uh, far too rare uh, that characters uh, this, this strong, independent woman who's able to have these incredibly emotional scenes, but also uh, be be a bit of an action star. Walk me through first hearing about the project and what what drew you to Letty, and and how you feel like you. The term I like to use is unlocked. Like like, what was it in the script, or what was it when you put on a wardrobe? When did you feel like you're like I understand who this woman is? Honestly, from the very first read, there was such a connection, a curiosity, a bond I had. I was just drawn to Letty. I, I, I felt like I understood, I understood her from the very first scene that I read um, and the way she's introduced, you know, this woman that sits at the intersection of so many different identities, being a black woman in Jim Crow America in 1955, right? You know, you learn so much about her 
in the in the block party scene. Um, she's come back. We we learn like she's been drifting around, right? And her sister hasn't heard from her in months, and yet they clearly have some sort of sibling bond that they fall naturally into, which we see just in the way they, the ease in which they dance and sing with each other. But there's this real tension. Um, you learn that she's got dreams to buy a house in an all-white neighborhood, yet she can't even afford to buy stockings. You know, you learn that she didn't go to her mother's funeral, which was such a clue to me. And it made me so curious about her. Um, why was she so estranged from her mother that she would not go to her funeral, right? Um, and that I could kind of understand on such a deep level because I, I know what it's like to be estranged from a family and then from a, a parental figure, my father, and then to only lose them again in death and that, that permanent split that you, you're constantly trying to rectify, you're constantly trying to heal. And so I just, yeah, I asked myself, well, what is her ammunition? You know, um, I think so much distress and so much misery in mankind stems from this feeling of being unloved, right? And Letty definitely sees the world through the eyes of this abandoned child. And so, yeah, I was just so hungry to um, almost exercise that in me. Um, but you just, from the first scene, you read the script, you're like, it jumps off the page. You know, you, who wouldn't want to be a part of a project like this, you know, as an actor? You, yeah, I lost sleep after I read this script um, because Misha was not initially offering it to me, which made me very insecure <laughs> as an actor because <laughs> I, I thought the obvious thing was like, hell, can't nobody play this but me. But that wasn't so obvious to her at first. Or maybe it was, I don't know. But yes, it was absolutely, from the very first free, I knew I had to be a part of it. Well, it, meant, it was meant to be. Uh, Jonathan, tell us about your experience uh, getting to first day of shooting. Well, you think about memory, isn't it? Because as I hear Uncle George, as I hear Courtney talk, and as I hear Journey, Letty speak about it, and I look at Anjanu and Pop, Michael here, I think about you know, my involvement in it and when it came to me and how, how it all got started and where I was in my life when it began. And in many ways, um, there's a lot of known factors for me. You know, I'd been a fan of Courtney B. Vance. I'd been a fan of uh, Michael K. Williams. I'd been a fan of Jan Smollett, Angela Ellis, the NYU graduate. I knew what HBO was. I knew what Bad Robot was and was familiar with the show Underground. And you know, I was kind of, I'm still, you know, the, the new cat, you know, the, the younger man, you know, the less experienced actor in the camp, as far as time goes. There's multiple things that, that I hold dear when it comes to Lovecraft Country that I think chiefly is the ensemble and the fact that I got to act with, you know, one of my heroes in Courtney B. Vance. I got to, I mean, it's one of my heroes. I mean, Courtney played a role. Corey and Fences, we both played that role. I don't remember the blackout, it was flooding. And we talked about it from beginning to end. I think we quoted probably the whole play, you know, the relationship that I built with Michael K. Williams as my, as my father and him being an avatar, you know, from my experience with that, you know, my deep relationship to 
you know, my mothers, my aunties, you know, the, the groundedness that Orange New Ellis gave me, you know, the, the softness, the internal conflict that I got to deal with that, you know, and then the friendship and the love and all the things that I established between Atticus and uh, Letty. I think somewhere I knew that was going to be the case. <laughs> I think I knew somewhere that that was going to be uh, an option, you know, because of the characters that were uh, written so beautifully on the page. And as everybody began to fill them out, and as everybody began to, you know, land in Chicago, where we actually shot the pilot, uh, uh, with the exception of uh, Montrose, who joined us in Atlanta, I believe, um, that was my drawing factor. You know, that those characters were built, and here was this guy Atticus that was going to interact with all of them and really get to define who he was through them. Yeah, it's funny to say it now because, like, uh, like Uncle George, like Courtney says, there is a sense of uh, ennui to it. There's a sense of uh, solemn honor because you know it, it, we're done with it now. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll just, I'll close with that. <laughs> uh, well, Michael, your character has some pretty big reveals uh, about himself, and he internalizes a lot of stuff throughout the course of the series. How much of that did you know 100% going in and how much was discovered uh, as the process continued in terms of shooting the series? You know, uh, we had gotten, this was uh, a process that I wasn't used to with, with uh, my previous jobs on television um, series. We had gotten all 10 scripts at the top of the day and that was foreign to me. And to have a show this dense <laughs> with, with storyline I had stopped reading after episode five. I said, okay, I've digested as much as my little brain could could handle. And by the time we got to seven and eight, it started to trip me up personally. Um, You know, I'm familiar as I guess most adults are about trauma that we have from our, our own personal bad choices or bad situations, um, unfortunate things that, that happened to us. We we know about that. What I was unaware of is the um, the blood trauma. I thank God that I had this group of people, Jonathan Journey, Ajinu, Wumi, Courtney, to hold my hand and get me through. But um, when we meet Montrose, he's so severely traumatized. You know, he he survived the, 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 uh, the Tulsa massacre. And then they moved to the south side of Chicago, which is like a, a, a war zone within itself. And with all that outside pressure and outside noise, and then coupled with the um, the internal stuff from our community, you know, um, us as black men, as black people specifically, but specifically black men, we are, we are told what a black man looks like. What what is the example of a, of a man with you know weakness, softness, sensitivity. Those things or, or, or non-traditional sexual experiences are not celebrated in the black community. So, you know, Montrose was, you know, given this book of, of, of stereotypes of what a man should look like. You know, we have children, we have sons, we raise our sons and, you know, ah, and it crippled him. And some of that unpacking, it kind of stirred something in me. And like Journey is extremely cathartic. Well, it was beautiful to get to see you do that work. And I'm grateful you brought up Wumi, who I think also would have been deserving to sit right here alongside you all as nominated. I think she did fantastic work as well. Um, Anjanu, I'd love to turn to you. 
um, and hear uh, about your journey to to uh, Lovecraft Country, but also hear from you about uh, I Am, um, the episode in which we see you experience lifetimes and then return to your first one. That kind of speaks to something you all did, which is take these you know, just totally out there concepts and yet find a way to ground them in reality. Uh, and I can't imagine that that was easy. Uh, so I, I'd love to hear from you, Anjanova, how you, how you as an actor processed that. Yeah, uh, shout out to Wumi Masaku, shout out to Jamie Chung, shout out to my daughter, Jada Harris. These spectacular women on and off screen. And I agree with you, any of them should be right here next to us in this conversation. Um, yeah, I, I'll just go straight to, um, you know, the company that I was in, uh, these faces that you that are in front of me right now. I didn't know Jonathan, but I knew Journey, I knew Courtney, I knew Michael. And I actually have stalked Michael in, a, in the uh, lobby of the Georgian Terrace in Atlanta. He didn't know that, but yeah, I was doing that. But that's how intense my feeling was about, one day being in the presence of of him and that and and that was realized with lovecraft country like so many things were realized uh in doing lovecraft country and i think the thing about lovecraft country is that it's all about people who are you know a part of the great migration and um you know hippolyta's great migration was to space hippolyta's great migration was to in time with josephine baker and and in the the great migration that she shared with how she had to square who she was and who she was becoming and the journey with her with her husband and her daughter um i think that everybody on this panel we are a gang of outsiders and I think every character on that show, we were sort of reflecting our own, our own sense of being outsiders, outsiders, outliers. Mm -hmm. And um, I agree with that word catharsis because we were able to like, our, our, we were able to articulate that in the characters that, that and we played in this absolutely, you know, game-changing experience of Lovecraft. You've mentioned some of you the, the the melancholy, the sadness that that experience is over. And of course, you know we'd heard that there was going to be a season two, and that not a season two. Um, I'd, I'd like to hear from uh, any of you that have stories to share about what you heard uh, that was most rewarding in terms of viewer feedback, fan feedback about what the show gave to them. Um, and I'm sure you also heard outpouring of sadness uh, when we heard that there wasn't going to be more of this kind of story told. Well, I'll, I'll jump in, you know, and I'm I'm gonna stay away from the uh, from, uh, um, melancholia of it, just just for, just for me. Um, one of the things that that is so moving to me, one of the things I I enjoyed uh, so much about the show is that when the show was premiering, I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. You know, I was not in a culture that that I was familiar with in certain ways, but I was just amazed that you know I walk into my 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 local gym, you know with a mask on um, and and there would be people from all walks of life that would just say oh my goodness you know this what a the show and this and this and this and it was for every single episode from the episode of i am right to uh the tulsa riots to the, our korean episode there was a whole demographic of people you know that's not necessarily from uh, my culture and my background that was following this show and that was being educated by these stories and falling in love with these people every Sunday. And then I hit the airport 
and it's and it's the homies and it's like i mean they're they're a young oh here it is so i was in la for a little bit and i was living in the motel six the, i'll say it's not concluded i was staying in the motel six and uh just kicking it you know prepping for this thing and um i walked out and there was this little young black boy you know i looked at him and he kind of looked at me and i looked at him and i walked into my hotel room and i went oh you know expletive I had to run out i left something <laughs> i run out and when I come out, he's standing there with his mama, right? And she goes, you're Atticus. And I go, yeah. <laughs> and I go, I go and, I look, and I am like, I, I, I'm not dressed like Atticus. I'm not, I'm not in Atticus mode. I'm not in Atticus hue, right? So you're, you're Atticus. And I say, yeah. And then a little homie walks up to me, right? And he goes, do you live here? And I say, uh, I say yeah, man. Uh, I, live, I live right over there, you know? Um, and I show him my, and he says, oh, I live here too. I said, oh, great, man. And then he becomes my little buddy. And um, I grew up in a really tough area in a, in a way, you know, and, and I didn't live in the Motel States. We lived in a really, really not so great apartment. And I loved it, you know. And I thought, man, if I would have seen an Atticus walk around my apartment complex, <laughs> you know, that might have changed my, I would have my shit all the way up, you know, in the best <laughs> way, you know, expletive, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and for me, that was the highlight. You know, here's this kid, you know, because we always say, like, you know, you don't, we don't see ourselves on TV. We don't see us, man. Not only, not only did this kid see a version of himself, he saw like, then he saw him in, in the flesh, you know, in a way. And it's like, I'm like, wow, like that's it. You know what I mean? This kid had to be like nine years old. My, my daughter's eight, he'd be nine years old. And, um, you know, he's my buddy, you know, what's up, man. If you, if you, if you watch this, I doubt you will, but you know, you're my man. Yeah. I would like to piggyback on that as well. What Jonathan just said out. I chose to stay away from the, the melancholy as well. You know, um, Lovecraft did exactly what it came to do. There's no, there's no sadness here. There's no victims here. We, we, we put it down. And for one season show, the amount of narrative that we have started, that we have changed, the amount of conversation that is happening. You know, um, this show was airing right around um, just either right before, right, it ended right before like the, what happened, the murder of George Floyd and all of these things. It was perfect timing. It's, it's not a coincidence that the week after Lovecraft went off the air, um, when the last episode aired, they miraculously found 100 unmarked graves in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The next week, you know, and then the community, our community as a human race in, in this entire country, we had Lovecraft to go back to and link. It was like life with art. Yeah. You can't make that kind of timing up. It was it was beautiful. And um, there is no melancholy here. We did. We, we were chosen by the ancestors to come and tell a story. And I believe that we we delivered and it did exactly what it came to do. I'm proud of it. Proud of my little one season show. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I went and got my hair did a few weeks ago, and this this girl did my hair, and she was being you know being just being you know, and I'm just sitting here chilling, waiting for my hair to get did, whatever. And without looking at me, you know, she said, you know, I got to tell you, I didn't know that she had ever seen me from anywhere, and she was like, Lovecraft saved my life. Mm. And she told me that she was going through some personal changes during the time that Lovecraft aired. And we also know that because of the pandemic, people weren't able to like communicate with each other. 
So a lot of their interaction with other human beings came through the screen. And um, so though that kind of testimony from her and other people, it, it, it really is, it's affirming of what we, what we try to do. I look forward to the day that, uh, as, as we all know, with our, uh, us in television and film, that we used to get killed off early. Um, in my mind, that's what this kind of is. I look forward to the day where we are, uh, we can have our, our Game of Thrones, where we have a, a, an yeah. opportunity for seven, eight years to, to, to talk about different uh, time periods and genres and uh, episodes. And, and so I look forward to that day. This wasn't it. Uh, I agree with uh, everyone that uh, no sadness here, but I look forward to the day where we, we don't have to have an excuse not to go forward. Yes, it's beautifully said, and uh, I'm so grateful that we get to see all of you continue to do fantastic work. Uh, and I know you all have expressed how excited you are to see everyone continue to succeed. So we know that Lovecraft was just the next stepping stone for all of you in, in your careers. Uh, and we can't wait to see that all continue. Of course, the next thing is is the fact that uh, people should remember that they can uh, vote for each of you uh, for an Emmy. Uh, and we hope we will be rooting for you all on Emmy Sunday. Uh, I want to thank, again, Jonathan Majors, Jordan Smollett, Anjanu Ellis, Michael K. Williams, and Courtney D. Vance for joining us here on The Awardist, and uh, just hope that you have the best Emmy season. Thank you all. Thank Love you all. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. Ah, Patrick, I love that interview so much. That was a real monster of a get there, huh? I love uh, dad jokes and bad puns. <laughs> yes. It's not my best effort, but look, I tried. Um, yeah, no, but, but on a, on a serious note, they, um, you know, they, they have a lot of reason to celebrate what they did here. Uh, the show was so incredibly unique and ambitious and, uh, you know, in many regards, they did it. They pulled it off. And I think they're very deserving of, of uh, all of the recognition they have this year. Yeah, I will have to say, uh, you know, obviously check out the video um, so you can see them all interact with each other uh, of this interview. Um, but a little bit of behind the scenes, um, Courtney B. Vance was having a little bit of technical issues. And so we were all the rest of us were kind of just like waiting um, to for him to get fully online. It wasn't his fault, uh, but just craziness was happening behind the scenes. And uh there was there was music being played in the back Jonathan Majors was playing DJ and <laughs> Journey and Michael K. Williams were dancing around and uh it just oh. it was such a fantastic um environment because they haven't been able to be in person. There's so much yeah. that they didn't get to celebrate because of the pandemic. They didn't get to celebrate together. Um and so it was just nice to, to get to watch that. I wish that was part of the video um that we're gonna <laughs> yeah. show, but uh, it is not, um, but you can still check them out. And it was just such a pleasure to see them all get to enjoy being in the same virtual space together. By the way, Jonathan Majors, uh, like this was on a weekend, on a break from, you know, just a, a little superhero movie that he's now filming, right? Oh, that also happened because everyone was talking about where they are and they're all filming and working on stuff. And uh, Michael K. Williams has been, you know, entrenched in his own work. And uh, Journey was like, oh, Jonathan, you're just working on, on a little thing? And he goes, oh, you know, just a little Marvel thing. And Michael K. Williams apparently had no idea. And he's like, wait, you're in a Marvel <laughs> thing? And it just like, and, and just, it was amazing oh to watch gosh. his face and reaction, being like, I'm so proud of you, brother. Like, it was, it was fantastic oh, to see him like so just sweet. gush. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, love I love that. 
That's so cool. Uh, well, it, it seems like they all formed uh, a great bond. And uh, yeah, I, I encourage everyone to check that out. I encourage everyone to be sure to follow us, uh, rate, subscribe, like, all that good stuff so you don't miss more of our awardist content. There's plenty of it on EW.com. We have lots of videos. And, uh, you know, check out our other podcasts if you haven't already. Um, Emmys are September 19th. We will have predictions, all that kind of stuff on EW.com. I'm really excited to see who, uh, who Kristen picks. And of course, this year's Emmys are going to look maybe a bit more like the Grammys. There's going to be that kind of split indoor-outdoor ceremony. They have to limit the number of attendees for uh, reasons that I fully support because things are not great right now in uh, Los Angeles and Los Angeles County with the pandemic. But I'm I'm excited to see what they do, um, and it really kind of narrows the focus on you know celebrating TV, which so many of us watched a lot of in this last year. Am I right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, well, be sure you check out the video. Be sure you're also uh, subscribing, liking, following, uh, rating our episodes so you don't miss any of our other awardist content. Uh, by the way, be sure you follow all of us on social media. I'm at Jared Hall. Kristen, you are at? Kristen G. Baldwin. And Patrick, how about you? At Patrick Gomez LA. Fantastic. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. And Kristen, I will see you very soon back here on the awardist, hopefully. Bye, everyone.